welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. This week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be sharing an episode of me appearing on a different podcast. So y'all might remember we had Keelan Cox, who's the host of the AEC Marketeer Podcast, on a handful of episodes ago, and she invited me to be a guest on hers. So we decided we wanted to replay this one so everyone could hear it. Uh, also give some exposure to her podcast, which is a really good podcast, especially if you're in the AEC space or you're an AEC marketer. There's a lot you can glean from it. She has a good guest, uh, like not just myself, but people that have more information than me and not just about marketing, about organization, about leadership, uh, all around good, good podcast and encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, so we're going to be replaying that this week. Next week, we will start new episodes again. Um, excited to share some of the episodes we have coming up. We're going to be doing a Black History Month episode next week, which I'm really excited about. Recorded that with Adrian. Um, we're going to have a VC guest on who uh, is a VC in the AEC space and hear what he's seeing from a technology standpoint. And then here, here in a handful of weeks, uh, we're going to be making a personal announcement about myself and uh, my plan. So I'm excited to share that with everyone here in the coming weeks. Um, I hope everyone enjoys this and uh, have a great episode. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. All right, Marketeers. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I have on Matthew Winkelstein. Matthew has 15 years of leadership experience in engineering and construction. His experience includes running multi-million dollar construction projects, building and running a global team in EHS, and launching multiple marketing initiatives that drove customer and employee acquisition. Two years ago, Matthew started Engaging Perspectives, an agency focused on helping companies in the AEC space ideate, strategize, execute, measure, and report on digital customer and employee acquisition strategies. Outside of business pursuits, his passions are mentorship, mountaineering, and personal development. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So my first question, how did you get started in this industry? What's your story? All right. So it's a long one. I'll try and give an abbreviated version, but I think like most people in this space, like your story, you know, you didn't exactly think about going into this space. So my story starts back when I was in college and I was going to school to be a high school history teacher. And I was also playing basketball, which was actually my main focus at the time. And about a, a season into basketball, I realized that, you know, a six foot white guy that's slow isn't going to make it very far in any type of athletic pursuits. So I needed to recalibrate my dreams. And at that point, I come from a rather poor family. And so I was looking at how am I going to afford to pay for college? I didn't know what to do. So at that time, I dropped out and was kind of lost for a little while. And I was very fortunate that although I didn't come from a wealthy family, I came from a family that was in the construction industry. And okay. so people were able to turn me on to different jobs and they said, hey, why don't you check out this job called a uh, radiological technician? It's in the new plants. You're gonna have to study to pass it. But if you pass this test, then you can get this job and then you can go from there. So I was fortunate enough to pass that and then did a couple outage cycles, refueling outage cycles as a junior radiological technician. From there it was the environmental boom. This was like 2005, six uh, timeframe in power generation. Okay. So lots of environmental projects going on, lots of work, kind of like today, which means there are lots of opportunities. So someone had told me, my father actually, hey, you can take this experience you have in nuclear and apply it to power generation by being a safety professional. So mm -hmm. not really knowing what that was, but fortunate enough that there was so much work that needed people to have some experience. So I was able to get an entry-level position there. And once I got into the field of construction projects and building large things, I was just very, very... Um, passionate about it and uh, saw a lot of opportunity. And I didn't really know where I was going at the time, but I knew that I was interested in this. 
So spend mm-hmm. some time in the field run, being field safety. And then when this is why some of my passions mentorship, I had people that really cared about me and invested in me in a time when I probably wasn't smart enough to do it myself. And they saw some aptitude in me, even when I was rough around the edges and they helped me understand more than just the safety, but the actual work, like what work are we doing? Why are we doing it? How does all this go together? How do you lead people? Why is it important to communicate this way? All those things that you would hope to learn. I was able to learn from very talented people. So ran construction projects for a couple of years. That was a lot of fun. At that time, I had met my wife and was, you know, kind of ready to quit traveling and a regional EHS manager position popped open. And I said, Hey, I think I'd be a good fit for this. I actually remember the general manager at the time telling me that, and I've been told this multiple times in my career, you know, Matthew, I'm not really sure you want to spend your time in safety. I think you can run large projects and that's really going to make money for the company. And, you know, this regional EHS manager position, I'm not sure that's for you. You should probably just stick with running construction projects. I convinced him that if we continue to lose work because people are getting hurt on the jobs, regardless of what you think of safety, it's going to continue to cost the business on the bottom line. And so that line of argument got me the permission to be able to do that, which got me out of the field and allowed me to have more of a a normal, steady life as I grew the relationship with my wife before we started our family. From there, I was uh, fortunate to move up through safety. I ultimately ran a global team. And then I was in the executive development program at a previous employer and was exposed to other executives. And from there, they pulled me into sales. I moved up through sales and was director of strategic accounts and business development, which finally gets us closer to where we are today, where I really became passionate about marketing and understanding how to communicate messages more efficiently. And at that time, we were doing things very antiquatedly. And I thought, hey, I'm in a smaller company or it's a $2 billion company, smaller generally in a legacy industry. You know, I just must be at the wrong spot. And so at that time, I was recruited by one of the largest companies in the space, Kiwit. And when they approached me, they said, yeah, we're doing all this stuff. And so when you come here and do business development, you're going to be able to really leverage all this marketing stuff you're talking about. So that, that got me really excited. And so I accepted it and came to work for a great leader at Kiwit. It wasn't very long before I was in Kiwit when I realized that they weren't actually far ahead of where I came from. They were further behind because they hadn't had anyone who had come through and pushed the envelope. And the other thing I figured out through this endeavor is success creates bad habits or can. So Mm, the company had been so successful. Why do something different? Right. Right. So at that time I was in business development. They knew I had a passion for this. I was out doing business development, unsurfacing some communication issues that we were experiencing in the field. And then the pandemic hits, which changed my business and then also changed my position at Kiwit. There was more of a, a hey, let's go ahead and try this thing. Sure. And so tried it through the pandemic. It was successful. We generated revenue. We generated some uh, market awareness and markets that we were new to. And so they promoted me to a director of demand generation. <laughs> okay where I was running demand generation campaigns for multiple business units inside of Kiwit. Very good. Okay. Your story is unique because I think you're one of the first people I've heard that has made a transition from BD to marketing as opposed to marketing to BD. So I'm really excited for this conversation. I want to touch on your new company. Well, not new, two years, Engaging Perspectives. So You started it two years ago. Why did you decide to start this company? Yeah. So like I had said just a minute ago, when I was coming to Keywood, I was expecting them to be far advanced, right? They're a big player in this space. And so my perception was, hey, all this stuff that I'm consuming outside of this area around B2B software as a service, that's one of the main places I pay attention to, B2B enterprise SaaS, because the deal, deal flows are kind of similar. And so I was consuming this content and I'm hearing everything and I'm like, oh, wow, they're just so much further ahead. And so I was expecting Kiwit to be there. So when I got to Kiwit and realized they weren't, 
I started to become a lot more curious about the market generally. And mm-hmm. it wasn't very long before I realized there's a lot of people that even though they don't realize they need it now, they're going to need it soon into the future. Mm-hmm. The other thing I realized is that if you're at a, a large company like Kiwit, you have a lot of advantages where you can move a little bit slower, but I saw the power of this stuff and what you can do with a little bit of money. So my mm-hmm. other concern was smaller to medium-sized companies, if they don't have access to this talent, they don't have access to this strategy, you're going to see a situation soon where people that were previously able to leverage their capital to get projects, which is already a difficult thing for medium to smaller companies to do. Now they're also going to be able to leverage this new way to interact with customers, driving down their customer acquisition strategy and making them even more dominant in the markets they serve. Got it. Okay. So how would you explain marketing and BD right now? What does that process look like in your eyes? I'd say it's disjointed at best. So my personal experience is marketers have been tasked with an impossible set of things to do. So as you know, in AEC, marketers have a lot of different jobs. Marketers are pretty general term, but you know, when you zoom in, there's proposals, there's events, there's traditional print media marketing, and then there's digital marketing. And so in any one of those things, as you know, you can, you can zoom in and see there's a whole litany of, of tasks that those people have to do in those areas. So at the same time, since the pandemic's happened, more and more companies are saying, hey, let's go digital. And so now they're looking at marketers who have never talked to customers, who have never been given a seat at the table, who have never been given resources and don't have any support and still have everything they're expected to do in their day job and said, hey, let's sell more digitally. Hey, let's show up on LinkedIn. Hey, let's do stuff on Facebook. And so Mm. what I would say is it's disjointed and unrealistic right now. And it's the best way I can describe it for those reasons I mentioned. Yeah. So you have this great vision for what this dynamic could look like. What could this process look like at an advanced firm? I'd say the first place to start would be where sales and marketing are actually working cohesively together. Where I've seen um, sales and marketing work close together were mostly off personal relationships. Maybe someone in business development had a close relationship with a marketer and that's how they were able to come together. I think the first opportunity is making sure communication is going both ways. When I was in business development, if I need marketing support, I'd say, I need a, I need this booth. I need this. It was more order taking, not right. marketing being strategic saying, hey, what's happening with the customer? So the first thing is that business development has to communicate with marketing and let them know what's happening in the field and give them opportunities to talk to customers. Then once you start to have that collaboration and you look at the activities that are happening and you say, okay, business development, how are you spending your time? And I would suspect that they're spending 20 to 40% of their time out trying to connect with new customers via driving around trade shows, events, whatever your mix is of in-person things, you're out there trying to meet potential customers. It's a very time-consuming process, right? Right. And that's where I think the real opportunity is for marketing. Why do we want to go out and try and build brand through individuals talking to individual clients when that's not even the way clients want to consume content now or information They've said in numerous studies, they want to do it digitally. So Mm. why not give marketing the power and the ability to be able to do that and then move that process further down where in the very beginning, where it used to send people out business development to communicate with people. Now we're going to give marketing that budget to give marketing that power and then business development. We're going to have you acting as an advisory role on messaging, but then we're also going to have you calling on customers that are actually interested. So inbound opportunities where people are telling you that they want to work with you. And that's where we're spending a lot of our time. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. 
So do you have any examples of that that you could share? I'm trying to think of one that I'm allowed to, I'll take out names and, and just kind of speak generally markets. So working with a client that was trying to leverage what they were doing previously for a new market, like, as you know, all these power generation markets are changing it. Everything's changing, right? Even if right. you're in infrastructure, you're going to more collaborative delivery and whatever, all everything that everyone's trying to do, right? Yeah. So this particular client was trying to leverage things they had done previously into a new market where they weren't as well known. And so in the past, that company would have hired a couple of people, gone to market, tried to develop the market, then bring people internally to be able to execute it. And we were able to have a slightly different approach where hired one key person, put them as in charge of the group, and then put them up as the thought leader and then ran targeted advertisements to be able to generate general awareness, but then connecting mm -hmm. that individual. And so by running the targeted advertisements to generate general brand awareness, and then having an individual for people to be able to talk to, we were able to cement this company as a leader in this burgeoning space. And they were able to generate um, some high profile, very upfront opportunities. And in construction, I mean, that's half the battle, right? You want to be in the very right. beginning so you can help the client, influence the client. And so we were able to do that on a large handful of opportunities. And we've just continued to ride that momentum. So where do you see other potential interaction points between marketing and BD in this dynamic that you had mentioned? Like, is this an account planning thing? Is this, you know, pre-proposal work? Where do you see this all sort of fitting into the business process? I'd say all of the above. Anytime that you're, you're considering communicating or you want to communicate a message broadly to the market, I think you have to ask yourself, is the best way to do that human to human? If you're trying to close a deal, I always tell people you're like, we're not, we're not trying to close million dollar deals to the website. That's not what we're trying to do. We're <laughs> trying to cement expertise. And when people have that need, they think of you and because they understand what you're about, they come inbound to you. So when you right. think of any time that you're saying, I wish a customer knew this about us. And then you turn to your sales team and say, Hey, let's go, let's go tell the market. I mm. have asking yourself a question. Is that the most efficient way to distribute the message? I think it's helpful. You can also do it on individual pursuits to your point. If you're far enough ahead of a, especially a large infrastructure pursuit where, you know, we're eight, nine, 12 months out and they don't know anything about us, or we don't think they do. You can start to very softly run some target advertisement campaigns to that potential audience. So they're at least aware of you, right? More familiar, not going to close the deal, but for hundreds of dollars, not even thousands of dollars, you can do a lot on brand awareness. Right. You also touched on here, I think briefly, that this isn't only about client or customer acquisition. This is also about talent acquisition. Can you explain that dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, I, I also have a podcast. And so yep. one of the things we ask a lot of our guests, because we're very interested in leadership and helping people work through their careers, it's, you know, what's more important, working for the right company or working for the right leader? Mm. We haven't had one person say working for the right company is the key. And so right. when you think of a couple of different things, the first thing is people, people consume content digitally, right? They consume their information digitally. They spend time on social media. They become more aware of brands digitally. If you believe that's true, then you also believe that people choose to work for people, not brands. Then you start to question the way that companies traditionally hire, where it's not the hiring manager, the director, whoever it is out there communicating what they're about to their network. They're looking at HR saying, hey, go ahead and 
hire this person for me or go find these type of people for me through thought leadership. If you're talking about how you lead your team, what you're about, what the mission is, you also have the benefit of communicating with potential employees where someone's at a company and they're frustrated, or maybe they're not even frustrated. They're just looking for a different type of leader. They need this different type of skill set. by mm. you communicating that broadly, mostly through social media, you allow more people to understand what you're about. And then when they're ready, just like the customers. So when Keelan gets really frustrated about whatever, I don't know she is as a hiring manager at XYZ company, but she knows about me. Now she can tell me, hey, I'm thinking about doing something. Do you have anything? Mm, so it yep. really creates it creates those opportunities. And especially if you're patient with it, because you do have a lot of people that are just seeking mentorship. And you know, if you're patient with it, you can really create a large network of individuals that you can call into and also you know, on the softer side, it's just a lot of fun helping people like to see sure. people take off in their careers. And there's really no downside unless you're a curmudgeon. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's true for everything, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I like this approach because I think, well, especially now marketing staff is even really hard to get. And that sort of positions your marketing manager as a thought leader. Like what's to keep us from having our marketing managers write blog articles about like our, maybe not our strategy, because that would give away something about the company, but just like the approach that you take to winning work or, you know, your philosophy, or th there could be so many things there that would attract really key talent in the AEC marketing space. Absolutely. I think that's well said. And another thing that people should consider, especially around marketing talent is you're not competing with other AEC firms for the best marketing talent. You're competing yeah. with everybody for the best marketing talent. And sure. before you may have just been competing with big brands. Now you can see through the pandemic, there's a million small and medium-sized businesses that need that help too, and are willing to pay top dollar for it because they see how it drives business. So mm -hmm. You throwing a flag up and saying, I'm the AEC company doesn't do anything for your marketing department. It you know might do something for engineering construction folks, but not for your marketing department. And I learned about the importance of that through growing an EHS team. If you don't have talented people, your job's a million times harder. And it's a lot harder to be able to service your internal customers. And so through there, I used to spend a lot of time, their traditional stuff. I was going to safety conferences. Whenever I was at a job site, I would try and meet the other company safety professionals so I could start to cultivate that network. And then right. one day LinkedIn popped up and I was like, oh, wow, my life just changed. <laughs> right, right. I don't want to forget to talk about your podcast. I know that last week or two weeks ago, we posted the episode that you and I did together. But do you want to explain a little bit about what the, the Buyer's Market podcast is? Yeah. And, and I, I'll be brief because I, I think there is some interest, maybe not as much interest. So the thought behind the podcast was we've been talking about how the way that people discover, research and evaluate prospective partners has changed. And so we saw that through talking to people, but people weren't believing it. So what's right. the best way for us to communicate that message? It's for us to talk to our customers, customers. So we started out by interviewing people that procure AEC services and asking them, do you perform your own research? Do you buy online? All those type of things. Then we realized that's a really boring podcast. So we focused on leaders in the space and also that same trend. So we are still interviewing our customers, customers. But we're also interviewing people like yourself who are in the space and who have really leveraged digital channels to create your own brand and who are doing something unique. So we can also show people a different way to do this besides just what their customers are saying. Perfect. 
All right. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, where should I direct them? Connect with me on LinkedIn. You can check out Engaging Perspectives website. You can follow us on LinkedIn, but I I produce content on a consistent basis. I support other people's content. As I said earlier, I believe that the marketer's role in this space is going to continue to grow. And I want to be a part of uh, highlighting some of those voices and making sure that we get that message out to the sales folks like I used to be. So the best place is connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm not going to spam you with anything, but you're more than welcome (laughs) to message me. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I love this chat. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, Marketeers. That's a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.